Good morning, church. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. We'll begin reading in a moment in verse 22. I want to welcome all of those in our summit service, those in our celebration service today, all of those who are watching online and those who have joined us on our television broadcast. I pray that God's word will be an encouragement to you today. And I wanted to just begin today right with God's word. We're going to begin reading in verse 22. Let's go. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. Now skip down to verse 28. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And then verse 33, to sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. So today I want us to continue our series in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to learn more about God's created and assigned gender roles for marriage. We began to talk about this last week. In fact, last week's message is really an introduction to what we're going to learn today. And last week we talked about the fact that God had created man and woman, male and female, both together in the image of God for his purposes and for his glory. We learned further that the relationship between man and woman, male and female, how they complement one another, is a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to take that, and I want us to go one step further to really focus in on what we've read in Ephesians chapter 5, and I want us to see how these gender roles, as they are described, can be a great blessing for our marriages and for our families. Now, I know that these are controversial topics. Uh, you might wonder why I'm preaching by video. It's because the topics are just too controversial. I wanted to put as much space between me and you as I possibly could. Uh, you know that that's not true. Uh, I am preaching by video because my wife and I uh, contracted COVID this last week, and we're doing fine. We're on the mend. Uh, but just out of an abundance of caution, we wanted to do this today by video. Uh, my isolation technically was over yesterday, uh, but on the counsel of some physicians, uh, we just felt like this was the safest way to do this today. But I do want to talk about uh, how this is a controversial matter when we begin to talk about gender roles in marriage, oftentimes people will put up their fists. They, they'll fight you over these things. Why is it that this part of God's word is so controversial? Well, I think there are three reasons why. In part, one, two, or three of these create the confusion and the controversy. Number one, there is a little bit of confusion. Number two, there is a little bit of rejection and then number three, I think there's a little bit of incongruity. Now, let me tell you what I mean by those. Confusion. 
there is confusion between what we call traditional roles and biblical roles. And we talked a little bit about this last week, but I want to emphasize this again because even as I prepared for this message, I continued to read Bible commentaries by scholars that I respect, many of them, that are confusing the traditional roles and the biblical roles. And I think that, as I said, is part of the reason why there's such controversy around this. Now, when we say traditional marriage, what do we mean? Well, generally we mean a wife who is responsible for domestic affairs, things like cooking or cleaning or doing the laundry. And then we think about men who are going out, earning a living, and um, bringing home the bacon, so to speak, to take care of the family. Now, if that's the kind of marriage that you have or that you want to have, then that's fine. Uh, in, in many ways, that's the kind of marriage and family arrangement that, uh, that, that, that I have, that me and my wife have. Uh, that's what many people choose, and that's fine. But that division of duties and responsibilities has nothing to do with the biblical biblically assigned gender roles in marriage. Uh, maybe the husband is a better cook and ought to be doing the cooking. Or, or maybe the wife's career is more lucrative than the husband's career. Or, or maybe the husband and wife decide that the, that the man will stay home for a time and the wife will pursue uh, employment outside the home. And, and, and maybe you and your spouse Maybe you have some very definite and settled opinions about all of those things and how they should look in your family. And listen, that's fine and that's good. The danger, though, is when we seek to put a biblical stamp of approval on something that really is never spelled out in the pages of Scripture. And it's certainly a problem if we begin to judge another family uh, by not holding to our traditional views when our traditional views are not, as I said, spelled out in Scripture. See, see, this is one of the biggest reasons I think people say that there's controversy uh, in this debate because people debate the traditional roles when they think they're debating the biblical roles. The biblical roles get a black eye uh, that they don't deserve and then they just get ignored. Uh, now, we don't need to shy away from saying there are biblical roles and then saying what they are. And I'm going to do that today. I won't shy away from it. Uh, in fact, I'm sure some people will be offended by what I'll say today as I just point to God's Word and explain that. And, and if people get offended, uh, th that's okay. I, I don't mind if people get offended by the truth of God's Word. What what bothers me is when people get offended by things that the Bible doesn't say. So part of the reason why this is so controversial is just the, the confusion between traditional and biblical roles. Now, another reason why there's such confusion uh, is because uh, there's a little bit of rejection. Uh, some of the controversy is because people, uh, Bible teachers sometimes, have worked so hard to soften the clear message of these verses uh, that, um, well, they've created controversy. Uh, when you read a lot of the commentaries on these verses, what you see are things like this. Six things these verses don't say. Four things that the word submissive doesn't mean. 
five ways that this has been misapplied. Okay, certainly people have gotten this wrong, but sometimes these uh, these commentators are so focused on saying what, this, what these passages don't say, they never get around to what the passages do say. In fact, I, I read some commentaries this week, and I just came away thinking, well, this doesn't mean anything. But I, I'll give you a hermeneutical principle, a principle of interpretation that is always true when you're reading the Bible. Every verse means something. And, and we can't just work so hard to remove any potential offense from these verses that they don't mean anything anymore. The word submit here means something. The, the, the command to love your wife as Christ loved the church, it means something. And, and we don't need to reject that. Now, the third reason I, I think that there's some, uh, some controversy here is uh, incongruity. What I mean by that is that there are so many dear saints of God who love God's Word, they cherish the wisdom of God, uh, they embrace the Word of God in, in so many different ways. Uh, they certainly uh, believe the Bible when it says that God loved us and He sent His one and only Son to die for us so that we could have eternal life. Uh, people will come to me and say, Pastor, can you help me discover in Scripture the details of what heaven's going to be like uh, when we get there? These people who really believe God's Word sometimes will look at what we see in Ephesians chapter 5 and they just reject that. And, and see, th there's a lack of congruity here. Uh, th th they embrace one part of God's Word and they say it's true and it's valuable and it's inerrant. But then they look at another part of God's word that perhaps they don't understand or that they don't like, and they just, they just jettison that part of God's word. And I don't understand. I don't understand if, if perhaps they're viewing God's word like a buffet line, you know, where you pick up what looks appetizing to you at the moment and you leave behind the rest, or, or if they just think God gets some things wrong in Scripture. I, I, I don't know how they get to this, but we're always going to have controversy and confusion if we don't accept God's Word as a package deal. It's either all true or it is all worthless to us. And because we, um, uh, we, we choose a different option, I think sometimes we create controversy around these gender roles that just doesn't need to be there. So my hope today is that we can clear up some of the confusion. But more than that, uh, I want us to really open the treasure chest of Ephesians chapter 5. And I want us to find some renewed strength and some glory for the marriages that God has blessed us with. Now, here's how I want to do this. I want to share with you two biblical roles, uh, a role for men, husbands, and a role for wives, and then I want to share with you four quick applications. So two roles and four applications from Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. I think this will help us. The first role, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now that's straight out of Ephesians 5, 25, and it's a pretty simple command. What are husbands to do? Husbands are to love their wives. How should we love our wives? We should love our wives like Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Christ died for the church. 
I think sometimes we men look at the first two words in this marriage section of Ephesians chapter 5, and we read that phrase, wives submit, and then we come to some very wrong conclusions about our relationship to our wives and our wives' role in their relationship with us. We believe often that the wife is to serve the husband. But you notice here, it doesn't say wives serve. It says wives submit. Now we'll talk about what that means in a moment. But the assignment for service here is not to the wife, it's to the man. The man is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Christ served the church. How did he serve the church? Well, it says in John 13 that he washed the church's feet. It says in John 17 that he prayed for the church. And it says in John 19 that he died for the church. Christ so served the church that he put the needs of the church ahead of himself, even to the point of death. And he died on the cross specifically uh, to serve the church. I was reading this last week, uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, a theologian, famous theologian of a couple of generations ago, and he wrote something about loving our wives like Christ loved the church, something that, that shocked me when I read it. Uh, but I think it's, it's true, certainly, and it's a great reminder. Listen to what he said. The man who truly loves his wife like Christ loved the church is the man whose marriage is most like a crucifixion. I thought, well, I don't want my marriage to be like a crucifixion. But in a sense, it should be. I should love my wife so much. I should put her first so much that for me, it's like a crucifixion because my love is for her. I have the role of serving her. So let me give you four quick commands to help us men uh, love our wives like Christ loved the church. First, sacrifice first. Sacrifice first. Put the needs of your wife and of your family first before your own needs. You know, sometimes men who have just a little understanding of Ephesians chapter 5, they will try to play the submit card. You know what I mean? They will tell their wives, submit. You must submit. They will demand that their wife submit to them. Listen, men, nowhere in the Bible are you ever given the authority to demand that your wife submit to you. Now, God demands it, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but you can't demand it. You only have one card. I only have one card I can play. What is that card? It's the love card. It's the sacrifice card. If there's a problem between me and my wife, what can I do to fix it? Not demand that she submit. I can find a way to sacrifice. I can find a way to put her first. I need to sacrifice first. Number two, I need to serve first. I need to serve her before first, before I serve myself. Now you might be thinking, I thought I was uh, the leader of my family. And as the leader of my family, um, you're saying that I then now have to serve. Well, you are the leader of your family. Men, absolutely you're the leader of your family. But when Jesus talks about leadership, he's always talking about service. Let me read something to you. Matthew chapter 20, 
says, Jesus called over his disciples, verse 25, and uh, he said the Gentiles, when they're leading, they lord it over. They are tyrants over other people. But he said it must not be that way among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to be great among you, whoever wants to be a leader, must be a servant. He says, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave. And then Jesus puts his... Uh, he puts his signature on this. In the last verse, verse 28, he says, Just as the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, I'm a leader, and I lead by serving. And men, you and I, we're leaders of our family, and we lead our families by serving. The next one is that we must go first. Too often men will have this attitude, once my wife begins to act Christ-like and show, once she shows me some respect, then I'll start loving her like Christ loved the church. Well, here's the problem with that, men. A Christ-like love always goes first. Christ went first. That's the whole point of the gospel, that Christ didn't wait for us to respond to him. Christ didn't wait to love the church until the church loved him back. No, Romans 5.8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ went first, or none of us would have ever been saved. And men, you need to go first. Whether your wife ever responds with respect, whether your wife is Christ-like or not, has nothing to do with what your responsibility is, what my responsibility is, we must go first. The husband should always be the first person to apologize. The husband should always be the first person to forgive. And the husband ought to be the first person to seek to fix the problem. Now the fourth thing here, we must worship first. We should make sure that the spiritual life of our family is first priority. You see that here in Ephesians 5.27 that Christ uh, wanted to purify the church spiritually. And husbands, fathers, we have a responsibility to lead spiritually, to lead our families. What do you do to be a spiritual leader of your family? Well, men, first of all, you've got to be maturing yourself. You have to have a strong commitment to God and a growing walk with God. You can't lead if you're in, in the back. And then secondly, you've got to be involved in the spiritual life of your family. You need to be praying with them. You need to be talking about the Bible with them. You need to know where they are spiritually. Men, can I, can I just talk to you man to man for a moment? I would guess that without exception, every man in our church, if, if asked, would, would take a strong stand for biblical marriage. Uh, for instance, when it comes to the issue of same-sex marriage, uh, there's not even a debate in our church. Uh, if I announced that there was going to be some big rally here tomorrow where we were going to take a stand on godly marriage, Christian marriage, and we were going to stand against same-sex marriage, listen, we'd have a packed house, and I'm with you. The Bible is crystal clear on those issues. But listen, men. The greatest danger to marriage in America is not same-sex marriage. 
the greatest danger to marriage in America is men, church men, who won't love their wives like Christ loved the church. The greatest danger in marriage in America today is men, church men, who will fail to cherish their wives and put their needs ahead of his own. The greatest danger to marriage in America is men, church men, who put their personal happiness and their personal gratification, and you know what I'm talking about, ahead of the sanctity of their own marriage and the honor of their own wife. Listen, I get all the invitations to all the rallies against all the ungodly marriages in in America, and and I get it. I I do. I, I grieve the moral decay of our country as much as anyone. But lost people are going to act like lost people. Let the judgment begin with the house of God. And let revival begin here, not because we have criticized some lost man's marriage, but let revival begin because we've chosen to love our wives as Christ loved the church. The next role, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now this is straight from Ephesians 5.22, and we see it repeated in verse 24, and then again in verse 33, some other places in Scripture. What does it mean for a wife to submit to her husband? I I think to understand what it means, we need to first understand some things that it doesn't mean. Number one, it doesn't mean to put the will of your husband before the will of the Lord. If God has said one thing and your husband has said something different, you should be faithful to the Lord. Now, the second thing it doesn't mean is that you should continue to live in danger. God does not expect a woman to remain in a situation where she is being abused or where she is in physical danger. I've known women through the years who have stayed and endured all kinds of abuse and trauma because they believed they were commanded to submit to that. No, that is not the case. If you are in danger, if you are being abused, get out. Call on the authorities call on the local church, but get out and get out now. The third thing it doesn't mean is that we, is that wives shouldn't participate in the decision-making. Of course, a wife is a full participant in the decision-making. She should be sharing her viewpoints. She should be helping to discover the right uh, path to take. Absolutely, she should be a part of that. So those are some things that submission doesn't mean. Let me give you two more, uh, two more things submission doesn't mean, but these sort of fall into a different category, you'll see. Submission does not mean mutual submission. Now, sometimes people will point to Ephesians 5.21, which is the verse uh, just before the section we got to, and they'll say that perhaps that verse cancels out what we see in verses 22 and 23 and 24. And it cancels out what we see in Colossians 3.18 and 1 Peter 3.1 and 1 Peter 3.5 and other places where the Bible says that wives are to submit. Well, let's look at that. So in verse 21, it says, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. It's talking in verse 21 about a mutual submission. And that's true, absolutely. But we're talking about a different kind of submission in verse 22. And, and it's clear for a number of 
uh, of reasons. Let, let me give the most obvious one. In verse 22, it says, Wives should submit to their husbands as to the Lord. It's saying that the submission that a wife is to have to her husband is like the submission that she has to the Lord. Now, that's not a mutual submission. The Lord doesn't submit back. Uh, and so the submission of a wife to her husband is not a mutual submission. You see the same thing or something very similar in verse 24. It says, now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Here it compares a wife's submission to her husband to the church's submission to Christ. Again, that's not a mutual submission, and it's not talking about a mutual submission between husband and wife. Of course, they are mutually submissive to each other in one sense, but in a very real sense, the wife is to be submissive to the husband. Now, this also doesn't mean that a wife should submit only when she agrees. Some people suggest that a wife should submit only when she is in total agreement with her husband. The problem is, that's not submission, that's agreement. Submission implies that there will be at times disagreement. Uh, so submission, at least some of the time, means that a wife will acquiesce against her own better judgment to her husband's decision. Now, what does it mean? What does it mean specifically for a wife to submit to her husband? I think there are three words that help us to understand the essence of the biblical word submit. The first word is trust. If, if a woman, if a wife is going to submit to her husband, it means that she trusts her husband. She trusts him to collect all the information, to listen to her. She trusts him to put the needs of the family first. She trusts him to seek the Lord and to be sensitive to the Lord. She trusts him. To submit means to trust. To submit also means to honor. You, you submit to your husband when you honor him and the role and responsibility that he has to take care of the family. Submit also means to respect. To submit means to respect your husband and to show respect when you speak with him and about him. Uh, Ephesians 5.33 says, To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. So what does decision-making look like in this kind of relationship? What does decision-making look like in a relationship where the husband loves the wife like Christ loved the church, and the wife submits. Well, here's what it would look like. The husband and the wife would talk through uh, the question. Uh, they would talk through the information, the pros and cons, all the details of that, and they should do so uh, with the goal of coming to an agreement. Now, the husband should have a certain attitude in this uh, discussion, and the wife should have a certain attitude. The attitude of the husband should be this. The most important thing to me in this decision is following the Lord and blessing my wife. The husband should be thinking, uh, more important than me and my preference or how it benefits me, the most important thing is that I would follow the Lord and bless my wife. Now, what should the wife's attitude be? Her attitude should be, I want to help make this decision 
by giving my honest and my unvarnished opinion, but I've already decided that at the end of the day, not only am I going to follow my husband's lead, but I'm going to celebrate that he is seeking to bless me and follow the Lord. And so if you, if you discuss with that kind of attitude, 95% of the time, maybe 99% of the time, the husband and the wife will come to some consensus. But in the rare cases where there can be no ultimate agreement, the husband first should feel the weight, the terrible weight of making a decision for the benefit of his family that his wife disagrees with. Uh, that is a that is a, a heavy thing, and he he should um, he should go back to the Lord, and he should make sure uh, with all of his resources and faculties that he's doing the right thing. Uh, he should feel that weight. The wife should seek to encourage her husband by expressing her love and her trust, even in the disagreement. And then the wife should feel the satisfaction of knowing that she has honored the Lord by trusting her husband. Even if it turns out that his decision was not the right decision, she has honored the Lord by trusting him. I remember when my wife and I were deciding whether or not we would uh, move to Nacogdoches and, uh, and that I would uh, be the pastor at First Baptist Church. Uh, my wife and I, we talked and talked and prayed and prayed and talked and talked. Uh, we, were, um, we were facing a big decision. We were very happy where we were. We loved our church. We loved our friends. Uh, our kids were happy. Uh, my middle child would end up moving right in the middle of her high school years, and that would mean her making a, a really big personal sacrifice um, uh, in order for us to serve uh, the, um, uh, the church that, that we might move to, to, to this church. Uh, I knew if I came here, I'd be following a pastor who had served three plus decades um, with great integrity, and that's hard to follow uh, in a lot of ways. And statistically, that that usually doesn't work out. Usually, 18 months or so, that second pastor is is uh, packing his bags. Uh, and then, and then there were some other opportunities that uh, that looked a whole lot easier. Uh, this is a decision that could have torn our family apart. But my wife was so godly, and she was so trusting. Uh, she said that she wanted to be a part of every aspect of the consideration, and she was. But at the end of the day, she said whether we stay or go, or whether we go here or we go there, that she trusted that I would make a decision that would honor the Lord and bless the family. And she told me that over and over and over, and that's what made the difference. That's what made a decision that could have ripped us apart. That's what made it a decision that, that even brought us together. Now, let, let's talk about some pushback. Uh, because I know that there, there are some people who are listening to me right now, some wives, and they're thinking, uh, you know, I, I would love to be in a situation where I had a husband who was loving me like Christ loved the church. But, Pastor, I'm just not in that situation. My husband is not a godly man. My husband maybe is not a Christian or he's, he's selfish or he makes rash decisions or he's not good with money. So what should I do? I, I, should I submit to that? Well, it's a very good question. And uh, I wouldn't be a faithful Bible teacher if I didn't just stop and talk about that for a moment. So 
let me give you just some statements, uh, biblical statements. I, I think the wisdom of the Lord, the wisdom of Scripture, uh, that can help in a really difficult situation like that. Number one, these are not simple questions. And all of us should be careful before we speak harshly in the situations where we have not been and where we don't know the whole story. And so that maybe is not so much for the wife that's asking the question as it is for all the rest of us. Let's be really careful uh, before we're judgmental about how she handles things without us knowing what it is that she's uh, really facing. Secondly, sometimes, wife, sometimes life is hard, but God is always close to those who suffer. Sometimes life is hard, but God is always close to those who suffer. And I think about 1 Peter 4.19 and some other verses. The next thing, God may be able to do something in your husband's life through your submission that he could do no other way. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, in the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure and reverent lives. Sometimes God does something through your submission that he could do in no other way. Next, verbalizing your submission to your husband without trying to be manipulative may have great influence on his heart. If you just said something like this, God has given you, my husband, a position of leadership to make decisions to protect our family and to bring him honor. And I love you and I'm going to trust you to make those decisions on our behalf. And I'm praying for your wisdom. You don't know what kind of impact your confidence in him might have. Next, uh, go over your husband's head by being a woman of great prayer. Uh, prayer, is, uh, prayer is always fitting. Next, bend over backwards to honor your husband and defer to his leadership. It may not always be possible. It may not always be possible. But submit means something. And if it means something, it means at least this. Bend over backwards to honor your husband and defer to his leadership. And then finally, my final word would just be to trust the Lord. Uh, the Bible says we know that all things work together for the good, for those who love God or call according to his purpose. And sometimes all we can do is trust. Now next, very quickly, I want to share with you four applications. Application number one, before you agree to marriage, evaluate your love biblically. Now, this is to those that are not yet married. When I sit down and I do pre-marriage counseling with a couple, I go through all that I've gone through with you today. And then I look to the man and I say, are you willing to love her and put her first? Are you willing to put her needs ahead of your needs? her preferences ahead of your preferences, her happiness ahead of your happiness, 
or are you just looking for some 50-50 kind of relationship? And then I look to the woman and I say, are you willing to trust him? I mean, at the end of the day, are you willing to trust him and the love that he has for you? Are you willing to trust that he's going to put you first and put the family first? Are you willing to trust him enough that if you don't see eye to eye, you will let him decide? And I tell them, if they don't have that kind of love, then they don't have a biblical marrying kind of love and they shouldn't get married. Now you see some shocked faces at that moment, but I'm telling you, before you get married, make sure it is an Ephesians 5 kind of love. Application number two, before you give up on your marriage, consider your assignment. Are you in a bad marriage? Does your marriage need some vitamins? Is your marriage on life support? Listen, you could go and buy 50 quote-unquote Christian marriage books with all kinds of advice that you will find nowhere in the Scripture. Um, uh, there's a whole industry out there. But let me tell you where you should begin. Not that all of those are bad, perhaps, but let me tell you where you should begin. Start with God's marriage advice. No, none of that other advice is going to help you if you don't do this first. Men, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Ladies, submit and respect. Now, you might say, my marriage has got so many problems. My wife's not doing this, and she is doing that, and she's messing up this. My husband's doing this, and he's to stop doing that. Oh, okay, you're probably right about all of that. But you can't change all of that. All you can do is change you. And so what does the Bible marriage book say? Men, focus on sacrificing for your wife and loving your wife. Focus on putting her first. Ladies, focus on submitting and respecting and honoring. And let God and His Holy Spirit work through your obedience to those commands to revolutionize your marriage. Number three, very quickly, use your uh, role as a tool to bless and honor your spouse. Every one of us who is married, we can find a way to bless and honor our spouse. Men, look for some way to surprise your wife by how you will put her first this next week and show her that you love her and that her happiness is more important than yours. Ladies, look for some way to surprise your husband this week and show him honor through your submission. And then number four, look to the Lord for your ultimate satisfaction. You know, I think the biggest reason that marriages fail is because a man or woman looks to his partner, looks to his wife or her husband for happiness and for contentedness and for peace. But if you do that, your husband or wife is going to fail you. Uh, you're going to fail in your pursuit of the perfect life, and eventually your marriage will be cast aside as worthless because it didn't meet the need that you had. The truth is, Needy, insecure, lonely, discontent, single people become needy, insecure, lonely, discontent, married people. Marriage doesn't fix that. The Lord fixes that. 
you must not be looking for a husband or a wife to complete you. I uh, read one pastor this week who said, uh, you don't need a relationship with a perfect man. You need a relationship with a gracious God. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be provided for you. If we're searching for peace and for contentment, if we're searching for purpose in our marriage alone, then we will not find it. We will also not be it for our spouse and we will just foster disappointment and failure. Let us look to the Lord, to the Christ who loved us so much that he died for us to pay the penalty for our sins so that if we put our trust in him, we might have eternal life and forgiveness. Let us find it in the Lord, and then the Lord will bless the relationships that we have.